Have you ever felt a drift in your purpose as you lead your small business? It happens to nearly everyone at some point or another. After losing his father 10 years ago, my next guest, Jacob Engel, found inspiration and purpose in sharing the lessons he learned as the COO of an international spice company to help small business owners thrive in today's competitive environment. Listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Jacob Engel. Jacob started Yeda LLC, a leadership and training firm that delivers seminars and courses to business owners, in, and he started it in 2010. Jacob is passionate about helping entrepreneurs and business owners succeed in their business. His mission is to empower leaders and managers through giving them the knowledge to change. Yeda, the name of his business, means knowledge in Hebrew. He's here to talk about his book, The Prosperous Leader, How Smart People Achieve Success. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Jacob, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Right. So by far, uh, the person who influenced me the most and who inspired me the most is my dad. And part of my book is a legacy to him because unfortunately he passed away relatively young. And the inspiration is because he was a Holocaust survivor. His dad perished in Auschwitz. He came here as a teenager and started from scratch, from zero. Uh, no language, no money, no family, and built a huge enterprise. Uh, the companies are still around. And uh, I would say that my MBA was really through the School of Hard Knocks because I spent a lot of time learning from him. He had this unbelievable knack for, for business and leadership. What type of business was it, Jacob? We were in the spice business. Importing and spices um, and distributing correct. them? Yeah, we imported spices. We, I would travel the world for, for spices. I've been to all, all the jungles. We imported, we manufactured, we distributed, uh, we packaged, distributed, correct. And where was the, the company? Was it a factory, what did you call it? Right. So we started off in Brooklyn in a very small storefront. I barely remember that. But then we moved to Queens. Eventually, we moved back to Brooklyn, had a few facilities. And then we moved to New Jersey. And currently, we have a whole bunch of facilities out there. Yes, we do our own import manufacturing and everything, correct? Fabulous. Well, what are one or two of the lessons you got from all of that experience growing up and traveling? getting to see all different levels of the business. What an amazing educational opportunity. But what was it that you took away from that about how your dad conducted himself or maybe treated other people that really left a lasting impression? So he was extremely charitable. And even though he dealt in millions, he, it didn't change his lifestyle by much. He was comfortable, but gave away a lot of money, wanted other people to be successful, extremely charitable. He'd spend a big part of his day helping other people. That was something part and parcel of him. And I would say uh, in my book, I list sort of what I call the Ten Commandments that my father shared with us continuously and just give you, you know, just throw out some, which I thought were extremely valuable for me. Probably the number one thing he would continuously say is, you know, never confuse efforts for results. Oh, that's great. <laughs> 
another thing he would tell the salespeople, we had a lot of salespeople, he would tell them, you know, everybody can sell a dollar for 99 cents. You know, salespeople are notorious for wanting to sell cheap and you can, you can always sell for cheap. And the trick is to get value for your money. Another thing which came out of a lot of conversations was uh, know what you stand for and know what you won't stand for. Yeah. That's an interesting contrast. Correct. And a nice play of words, but very, very important because, and, and he really knew what he stood for. So these are Barry's Ten Commandments, huh? Correct. <laughs> Correct. And what would you say guides your de um, decision and the direction that you take your business these days? Right. So when I became chief operating officer, I realized that I really wasn't in the spice business. I was in the people business because we had hundreds of people working for us and making sure you hire the right person, what they call today, the right person in the right seat in the right bus. Mm -hmm. Building your organization is all about bringing in the right people, empowering them, creating this trusting relationship. And I really had to learn quick on my feet how to make all of this happen. So I spent countless of hours reading everything. I'm, I mean, the good news was I was an avid reader. I was a lousy student, but I was an avid reader. And I, I really read everything I could and went to seminars and trainings, everything that I can think that crossed my desk. And that gave me a lot of different opportunities to learn from great leaders, leadership training. It was, it was still something in its infancy. But a lot of great wisdom was out there if you spent the time. And over time, I've been able to develop what I consider are probably the 20, 25 best leadership techniques that are very, very effective. So what is it that allowed you to make the leap from having running a successful, established business as COO to starting your own leadership and training firm in 2010. You know, family businesses are notorious for many different things. Among them, it, it's very hard to keep the second generation and the third generation going. One of the things I decided was that I was going to create my, my own pathway, especially after my dad passed. There was a lot of emotions involved. I had taken out some significant uh, capital from the business for my shares and I was still involved in real estate. And I was looking forward to semi-retirement, so to speak. But in 2005, six, seven, eight, when the market started to fall apart, mm -hmm. uh, it, affected, it affected me considerably. What turned, what actually happened was that I was invited in by community, by different community initiatives to help people that were out of jobs, lost their businesses. And what I did was I took a group of 15 unemployed and underemployed and threw the book at them, so to speak, everything that I've learned. And they all were able to either find jobs or start businesses. So, so you backed your way into market testing and found that what you had to share really helped people's lives. Yeah. So I went back to community and said, you know, this is important and we should be teaching this because this will help all people. Well, they had other things going on. So I decided to, I have a sort of a rule that if I suggest something and people are not interested, I do it myself. So I started my own leadership in training. I'd bring in people across the board and we had tremendous success. Eventually I got invited into companies and it, it morphed and iterated into other things as well. So one of the things you talk about in the book is you say, are smartphones really that smart for business leaders? Well, I think it's a well-known thing that people are continuously distracted. 
technology is a huge distractor if we don't really create boundaries to our distractions. Uh, the picture, I'm assuming you recall the picture where there are a whole bunch of people standing in a, under a bus shelter in a bus stop and nobody's looking at each other. They're just looking at their phones. I don't need to recall the picture. That's common everywhere we look these days. <laughs> and we've lost that personal touch. We've lost that capacity to, to just talk to people and be human and have that human relationship. But it also gives us an opportunity to reach out and talk to people. And, you know, Bill, I think you guys do a phenomenal job. And I appreciate that you're bringing me on board to chat and talk and ask and listen. People are not doing that. We're so absorbed into the technology. It makes a difference whether you use tech, whether you're the input to technology or you use technology to actually accomplish things. Here we use technology to have relationships and build relationships so that you and I connect and also everyone listening gets to meet people like yourself, Jacob, who could offer ideas that'll help their business and their lives. So that's what I think is a really good use of technology. Correct, correct. What do you think is, is something that people ought to do aside from starting with the, the initial step of being aware of how technology thwarts those relationships and subverts us deepening our connections with each other. How do we change that in a business? If, if you're the manager or leader of a business, what types of steps do you encourage your clients and students to consider? And, and you're so right, because technology is a great enabler. It's an amplifier. You can use it in the right way. It can also be, uh, you can become a slave to it. In, in businesses, all business owners are hugely challenged with that issue. They're challenged, excuse me, both themselves and their people around them. I think in part, there, there are some great strategies that can be used to block out time. So just to give you an example, a quick story. I was working with a company, they were in financial services, and the head of sales was a great person, a woman there who really understood the sales side of things and everything pulled at her in, in so many directions that she became ineffective at a certain point. And when I sat down and I was working with the company and the founder asked me to, to coach her up, we identified some clear things that she needed to work on. And one very big thing, which I think is a great tool or a, a hack, I call it a productivity hack, is we looked at her quadrants, her time management quadrants, where she's spending most of the time. And, and we identified that she needs to spend at least a certain amount of her, of her day on being proactive about things and not being reactive. So what we did was we broke up her day in 90 minute parts and said, okay, first 90 minutes when you come in, you're going to go through your emails, listen to your team. And then you have put a big sign on your door, 11 to 1 or 11 to 1230. I'm not available unless the building's on fire, so to speak. And close your door and be very, very focused on those big rocks, those priority things that you need to take care of. This way, you get that out of the way, you're available back for your team. And it worked wonders. So if you understand the challenges and if people are open and honest and understand that they get distracted, you can come up with solutions. Jacob, I also liked in your book how you took a common acronym for SMART goals, and instead of making the A attainable goals, you made it stand for ambitious goals. Tell me why you made that choice and what effect it has when people start looking at their goals and remember to 
crank up the ambition. It was inspired by Jim Collins, I believe, who called them BHAGs, Big right. Hairy Audacious Goals. I sort of took out the H and I just left the bags, Big Audacious Goals. You, you want your people to stretch. You want people to think out of the box. And, and the reason why people don't do it is because of fear of failure. There's something called the four fatal fears. Fear of failure is number one. So people are afraid. But if you encourage mitigated risk and you encourage people to take that leap and really think out of the box and be ambitious, you never know. Yeah. And who's someone who's actually embraced that, that you've worked with? And what kind of results do they get when they take out these shorn BHAGs? <laughs> <laughs> right. So actually, that same company that I was working with, the founder had a great business. And when I met with him, he was concerned that his people were telling him that they need to reinvent parts of the business. And it was a risk that he was very concerned to take. And that's something I come across often that entrepreneurs have built something of value and they aren't just going to hand it off to somebody else and allow them to risk their capital. So I told him, let's divide this into three parts. Part number one is let's evaluate what is our current structure? What are some of the things that are out there? What are some of the things we aspire to be? And can we reinvent ourselves? And then the question is, how do we not upset or lose the current market that we have? And can we play in both sides of the coin and have your cake and eat it, so to speak? So we went off site. We spent a lot of time brainstorming. But the key here was, and Bill, and this is something that I want to share with your audience. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs want to be the voice around the table. Meaning, I don't want to call it dictatorial, but for lack of a better word, they want to have control over the decisions. But that doesn't inspire your people. That doesn't give them the key to innovation. What you really need to be able to do is allow yourself to be a voice around the table and other people's voices to be heard. And we did that. We off-sighted. We spent a lot of time brainstorming and giving a lot of credibility to people who were on in the trenches. And we came up with a whole new strategy that because of the concern of not harming the current strategy, we were in stealth mode. We worked in stealth mode for quite some time and we were able to create two different paths of businesses. Eventually the business was sold for a lot of money and it was a worthwhile endeavor. Jacob, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? Sure, shoot. All right. So what are the key components, not all of them, but the, you know, one or two of the key components of your routine for daily success? I'm a very big Seven Habits Covey fan, mm -hmm. and I'm certified. I trained there, and the guy who certified me told me that he asked Dr. Covey himself, so of all the Seven Habits, how many can you say you actually practice day in, day out? And he says, on a good day, two to three. So... You know, good, good leaders are humble and have humility. I, but I would say that number one, by far, is understanding how time management works. And I'm very focused on having impact. I'm very focused on helping other people have impact. And I encourage them to really think through what is the impact. Because you can get lost in the, in the seaweed. You can get lost in the day-to-day, in, the -day, in the mundanes, and, and forever spin your wheels. So how do you remind yourself? Do you think about that in the shower? Do you put a post-it on your car window, your rear view mirror? Do you do something like that 
to help remind yourself to focus on impact? I'm also what's called a positive psychology coach. And in positive psychology, the question they ask people, and I ask my, that question myself continuously, what are the things that energize you? What are the things that really make you feel that you've, you've created something of value? And what are the things that suck your energy? Mm-hmm. And I've identified that uh, creating impact, helping other people create impact, energizes me to no end. And, and the other stuff just sucked my energy. So I can almost feel my stomach telling me, oh, this is going to be terrible. Forget it. Let's, and I will know the difference between the things that give, that have impact and do not. And I've been able to help a lot of entrepreneurs achieve that same sense of let's focus on where can we have the greatest impact? What are the things we need to be doing? What are the things that we should be delegating to other people to, to do? Excellent. And that's actually one of my next questions. What's your favorite way to get unstuck when you realize that you're, you're off track? How do you get back on track? Do you have some way of doing that that others can adopt and learn from? I've learned over time not to be so hard on myself and allow, if, if I'm sort of not achieving things, it, it's not fun, especially if you're a high achiever. Right. It, it, and there's something in, it's in my book as well. Uh, I'm a great fan of Professor Martin Seligman. Yep, Marty Seligman at University of Pennsylvania. Correct. He's the father of positive psychology. He wrote three or four great books. It's a, it's a must read, every entrepreneur. And he uses Dr. Aaron Beck's uh, CBT, uh, cognitive behavior therapy, as self-talk, positive self-talk. The biggest issue, here's the biggest issue, Bill. When we're not achieving what we want to achieve or we've, you know, things didn't turn out the way we want, what happens? In our minds, we start to have this negative self-talk. And having the tools, the resiliency, is really what needs to help a person get through them and you're okay with yourself. You can back off a little bit and then re-energize and continue. Does it make sense? It does. It does. Jacob, tell me, what's the biggest misconception that people have about being a, a prosperous leader? Do they not define it for themselves? As you were writing the book, I'm sure you came across some things that you really wanted to dispel as a myth. What would you say is the number one myth that you want to dispel and share it with us. Right. So I was meeting with a potential client who I sat down and I'm, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and the why question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if somebody hasn't seen that Ted talk, they should or read his book, start with why. And I asked people, why do you, why do you want to do what you want to do? Or why are you doing what you want to do? And this guy came into my office and told me, you know, I really want to be very wealthy. And I said, why? Well, I've got a family, we got to feed. I said, all right, so you need financial security. He says, no, 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 I really want to be wealthy. He says, why not? Why, why, what's so important for you? And the more, t- the more I asked him the why question, he had to dig introspectively very deep into really coming to a conclusion it was all about his insecurities and his diminished self-esteem. And that was the way how he was going to cover up for it. The, the point is that when I talk about prosperity and the definition of prosperity, it's about character. It's about impact. It's about mission. It's about purpose. It's not about money. And most people, uh, yes, your business needs to be profitable. 
you got to be able to pay your bills. There, there's no question. But what will really make a prosperous leader is somebody who transcends beyond that, wants to have an impact, wants to have a legacy. Uh, Kobe calls it your 80th birthday or your funeral. What is it that you want people to say about you? And I think that legacy is something my dad taught me. And that's something that I think is very profound. Well, Jacob, you shared so many great ideas with us today and inspired us by sharing, you know, your dad's story and, and Barry's Ten Commandments and a few of those things that helped us understand how he came to the United States and founded a successful spice company and left not just the legacy of the business, but also the legacy of his lessons with you and all of his employees and the members of his community, for sure. Correct. You shared some great ideas that helped us understand your transition from how you went from chief operating officer into being a leadership coach and helping inspire and, and educate others about that. You talked about technology and the fact that everyone's challenged and time pressed, but it's how you make those decisions in order to get your time back and to prioritize the things that are most important. And you mentioned Jim Collins with his big, hairy, audacious goals and how that was important for us to think outside the box and to stretch our thinking about what's possible because you can't keep growing a business if you're just looking at maintaining things. The outside world is always changing. You've got to be responsive to competition, responsive to market needs and so on. And you share with us more about your insights and the ways that you apply the seven habits from, um, from Covey and, you know, making sure that we're focusing on impact, making sure that you're answering the question, you know, about what energizes you in particular, and also for each entrepreneur, listen and question when you ask, what energizes you? And because you keep asking why, because wealth doesn't come just from money. Money's a means to an end, but it's who you become in the process. And that's why you shared with us how you focus on character, impact, and purpose. So for all these reasons, I, I thank you and salute you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you very much, Bill. And that is truthfully an honor and a pleasure for me to have an impact. And I appreciate your opportunity and your sense of mission. And it's been a pleasure really talking to you about this. Jacob, where can we find out more about your work online? My book website is theprosperousleader.com, theprosperousleader.com. And what parting words would you like to share about being a prosperous leader with our listeners? Build from the inside out. Really try and become a person that people will look up to, that will inspire, motivate, reach, because money comes, money goes, markets come, money and markets go. And what is really left is our legacy, who we are, the people we've inspired, the, the leaderships that we've created. Those are the things that stay on and that will, people will remember. And I think that leaders have an opportunity, really underestimate that opportunity of impact that they can have both in their employees, their vendors, their communities, their clients. They can have a huge impact and those things stay on for a long, long time, even if sometimes the money doesn't. Well, Jacob Engel, author of The Prosperous Leader. Thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on my quest for the best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up my quest for the best, 
and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.